This is Just Conversations with Kelly Brown Douglas, a series of interviews that explores the racialized inequities intrinsic to our nation and our collective responsibility to create a more just future. Good afternoon. I'm Kelly Brown Douglas, Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary here in New York City. Thank you for joining us in another of our series of Just Conversations where we engage issues of racialized and other inequities intrinsic to our nation and our collective responsibility to create a more just future. On this January 6th day, we bring you a special Just Conversation on this first year anniversary of the insurrection at the US Capitol. I am pleased to be in dialogue with my colleague and my friend, the Reverend Dr. Liz Steele Harris, minister, activist, and author, who is co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and director of the Cairo Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice at Union Theological Seminary, and author and most recent editor of We Cry Justice, Reading the Bible with the Poor People's Campaign. Thank you, Liz for joining me in this conversation today. Now, let's get right to it. Liz, I wanna begin by asking you, as we think about a year ago today, what were your first thoughts when you saw what was going on at the Capitol? I mean, so thanks so much for having this conversation and, and being in dialogue with me. Um, and thanks especially for your, your leadership, Kelly. Um, but I, I feel the same kind of emotions that I felt a year ago, which is with extreme fear, um, fear for our democracy, fear for especially poor and marginalized people, um, and, and fear that we got to this point um, it didn't come out of nowhere. We we all are aware of that. But um, but to watch folks emboldened by people from the highest levels of offices office be allowed, you know, with those police. I mean, I I've been arrested at the U.S. Capitol many times, and 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 the treatment that folks received that day, um, and the really the kind of lack of consequences that have happened since. Um, are really different than when people are peacefully, nonviolently um, trying to to raise issues. Um, and that's because, again, it was up to the highest levels of, of government. And so, uh, you know, it, it makes me really see what kind of a moral crisis our, our nation is going on in um, and, and experiencing and um, and also makes me then feel like you know we, we we have to keep on organizing and fighting and struggling and and challenging this but um I, i'm wondering how how you felt that day what some of your thoughts were um and 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 what it means you know in in our in our lives today as well yeah thanks liz uh, similar uh to yours, I, I remember that day uh, vividly, right? And, and, and some of those same sort of, not the intensity of feelings, but uh, those same, the intensity of thoughts are reemerging on today. And I remember I was working and, and continuing getting texts, you need to see what's going on. And so I went and first, my first thought was disbelief as I saw what looked like ninjas scaling uh, the uh, 
Capitol building. And, and then I, the, my second quick thought was, you know what? If these people were people of color, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have ever gotten that close to, mm-hmm. to the Capitol. And I remember, you know, I was down here in Maryland, Washington, D.C. area and went down to uh, the Black Lives Matter protests at one point in Black Lives Matter Plaza. And that place was ringed with National Guard. Uh, and so I couldn't imagine uh, how they could have ever gotten that close. And that created within me this deep sense of uh, an even deeper sense of understanding the reality of Black life and the life of people of color in this country. And that, in fact, uh, because of the color of the skin of most of those people on that Capitol Hill, they could get away with that. And they would uh, it would have been a bloodbath. And I continue to get texts throughout the day from people. Uh, you know what this would look like if there are black people. The other thing I thought that is intensified and stuck with me, Liz, and I build upon what you say here is that uh, that didn't begin on that day. And and that that could uh, happen as quickly as it did and that our country could find itself in that particular acute crisis moment. It was a, a reflection of the realities of who this nation is that it is not dealt with. And so uh, before I say more about that, it, so the, Third thought that quickly came to my mind uh, after disbelief and, oh, my goodness, uh, good thing those aren't Black people down there, but Black people would never be down there doing that, uh, uh, was that this was our and we are in a 21st century Civil War moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this, this nation really needs to decide what kind of nation that it wants to be, which leads me to ask you, Liz, because hearing you talk about the sort of moral fiber of our country, if you will, being at stake, a lot of people uh, we hear talk about the way the our democracy is at stake. And, 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 and yes, but I think there's something much deeper uh, than that, that prior to that moment on Capitol Hill has put our democracy at risk. What what are your thoughts? What does it tell us about our nation? Yeah, I mean, thanks so much for I mean all of that, those thoughts, that analysis, because in, in, indeed there there's so much going on. I mean, I think when we when we look at the world today, or or we look at it um, how it was January fourth, January fifth of of last year. I mean, we are living in a in a crisis and it's an economic crisis it's a public health crisis it's a crisis of our democracy and it's a kind of a and it's it's surely a a a deep moral crisis i mean we live in the richest nation in the world and yet you know before the pandemic which has only made things worse um there's 140 million people who are poor and and and, or one emergency one storm one healthcare crisis one job loss one couple hundred dollar expense away from economic ruin. Um, you know, we had just uh, gotten through. I mean, the the Georgia runoff was just, the results were just coming in, right? And and we had seen, um, uh, despite two presidential elections and, and election cycles without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act, we had seen a multiracial uh, 
coalition of especially poor and low income and other voters, you know, show up in record numbers um, to to vote for candidates that were actually talking about issues like systemic racism and health care and and COVID relief and and living wages. Um, and but but to live in a society that has that level of poverty that has you know uh, so many um, lives being killed. I mean, again, pre-COVID, 250,000 people were dying a year from poverty. Um, then you add police violence, you add mass incarceration, you add you know inequities, um, and then you add you know governmental inaction in the face of a public health crisis. Um, and and we've gotten comfortable with death. Um, as a society, um, the death of our democracy, the death of of, of human life, um, and then death of a kind of our our deepest moral values that say that that lives matter, Black lives matter, um, and that 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 marginalized people's lives matter, that poor people's lives matter, but that life, you know, God's children um, have to have a have have good. Uh, thriving lives, and so so to to live in this society right now, um, you know, and and we had public health crisis, um, uh, public health officials, you know, talking to us, and and I know Kelly, you and I have had this conversation before too. I mean, again, before the pandemic had hit, we had pandemics of racism, pandemics of poverty, pandemics of of inequality and and violence and violence against women and LGBTQ folks, right? I mean. And again, our society has gotten used to to death and to violence and normalized those things. And 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 you have that all kind of uh, kind of covered with with religion, um, especially Christianity. Um, and, you know, I, I think you you've done such important work on these on on all of these issues. Um, but, you know, it, it's we have to kind of put them out there. Yeah, no, Liz, thanks for that. Because I really do believe, right, <laughs> that a couple of things came together to uh, make uh, what happened a year ago possible. To, <laughs> things came together to make the MAGA vision and movement possible. And so that sit at the seat of our so-called democracy, truly at the foundation of this country, one, that you talk about we've gotten used to violence. Well, you know what? That's right. Because inequality and injustice, that's violent. Anything that doesn't respect the sacred humanity of another human being is violent. So we, the, you cannot have a stable or a fragile uh, or a, a stable democracy when you have such inequality and when there are people who feel disconnected from, from uh, their very nation, from, from the quote unquote uh, democracy. And so we have so many people who felt disconnected, so many people who felt themselves disenfranchised in one way or the other because of their poverty or whatever the case may be. They felt disconnected. And, and then you can fill that vacuum with the kind of hate and fear and lies uh, that the uh, architect of the MAGA vision put forward. But then the other thing that came with that, so you had people who came there for various reasons, but certainly people got involved in various movements because they felt disconnected, if you will, from 
the quote unquote democratic dream of this country. And then on the other hand, at the foundation of this so-called democracy has been, as both of us have talked about before, and within the DNA, this notion, this Anglo-Saxon exceptionalist notion, the American exceptionalism, which has always been Anglo-Saxon exceptionalism, which has always been about white supremacy. And we have never talked uh, and told the truth about that. And so it was easy. You know, if you don't take a weed up by the root, that weed keeps uh, coming back up. And when it comes back up, there's more weeds. And so it was easy for the MAGA vision and its architect to take hold with this sort of white supremacist, if you will, uh, ideology that was undergirding it. So all of those things came together to uh, and it ended up in this quote unquote crisis moment on January 6th. What it should have done and which is so distressing, I think to me, is that it should have called this nation to account. At least those people who claim not to support uh, what was going on up at the Hill and caused us to say, you know what? It's not our democracy that's at stake because the fact that that could happen means that we never had a democracy really. What's at stake is the the soul of this nation in determining who we want to be. To me, we are in this civil war kind of moment that we have to make a decision. But Liz, here's the thing, and you mentioned this. You know, we're both uh, 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 ministers, you know, and 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 we are both driven in so many ways by our faith because we believe uh, at least the least thing that faith means is that we have to make the commitment to partner with God and bringing forth a more just future and all that that means. We know that there were plenty of. Christians, quote unquote, up there on on Capitol Hill that are part of the quote unquote mega vision. Studies have told us that 30 percent of uh, uh, Christians sort of submit to white Christian nationalism. So now here's the thing. There are others <laughs> uh, which are, I would hope, the majority of uh, those of us who would call ourselves Christian. And then though there are other faith and religious leaders that are, 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 are not Christian, and uh, but religious leaders and presumably have a different sense of values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, Liz? <laughs> and it's always a head scratcher to me when people say, oh, look what they've done to Christianity. No, look what they're doing under the name of religion. It, and I always like to say, look what we aren't doing. Uh, uh, what should be the role, Liz, of, of faith and religious leaders? We see the nation's response to what happened last year, and some people are in deep denial. Uh, what should we be doing? So I, I really appreciate you know, the, this question. And if we think about the fact that, that we really are in and approaching a kind of next civil war, right? What, what, we, what we always see throughout this country and other countries' histories is that there's a kind of a battle of theology, a battle for the Bible and our deepest moral values and traditions that takes place and polarization when you, when you get to a place where, you know, you have such, um, such different, such polar opposite visions of what uh, what needs to happen um, and and what what can happen and and so again if if we we go back 
uh, to the Civil War. I mean, you had you had Christians battling that right. battle of theology right out, right? I mean, so you had the slave Bible that had, you know, the Exodus, the prophets, you know, Jesus' inaugural sermon all cut out of it. Um, and that that emphasized, you know, slaves obey your masters and, and um, uh, you know, told stories of Christians sending people back into slavery. I mean, and, and, and this whole apparatus, you know, from not just biblical interpretation, but, but the structure of, of religious living and, and, and religious life, um, you know, was all 